Welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the first of at least a two-part series in which myself, you let me tell you something, co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other let me tell you something, co-host Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer rated five stars or higher. Now, for this one, I was a bit cheeky with Simon because we were anticipating for this record to have at least a couple of episodes on our hands to do. And I sent Simon a text after the latest Observer issue came out to say Dave Meltzer has not rated anything five stars this week. (sighs) You relied on being technically correct, which, of course, is the best kind of correct. (laughs) Because this match and next week's match are both five and a quarter star matches. Woo! <laughs> we decided not to go in chronological order. They both happened on the same day. But whilst when we did this last time, we went with the Japanese match first and then the WrestleMania match second. We're going to go by our own order of when we've seen them. And also, to be honest, the level of interest we think that these two matches <laughs> for our audience. We see you. Well, no one watches Noah. Let, let's just get the cat out the bag. No one's watching that. <laughs> Half the roster don't even watch it. (laughs) Because half the roster, it'd be past their bedtime by the time they got home to watch what they just had. (laughs) So that's a hint for what we're talking about next week. But for this week, Simon, where are we and who are we talking about? We are at an episode of AEW Collision taking place on the 15th of July 2023. And it's a match for the AEW World Tag Team Championships between the defending champions FTR and the challengers Bullet Club Gold, which comprises of Jay White and Juice Robinson. And it's two out of three balls. This is one of the examples I give as to why... I don't actually like Iron Man matches that much because this match goes 56 minutes. Yeah. But I think that the crowd went along with it all the way through. And it's pretty amazing how invested the crowd are from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Without even them having to condition themselves and I think condition the audience into expecting a marathon of this length, it just went the natural progression that it did. Whereas, if I, if so, I could, I think I can understand your thinking with an Iron Man match that's got a pre-announced length of time. Everyone's pacing themselves. The wrestlers pace themselves. The announcers pace themselves. And the crowd pace themselves to expect not much to happen in the first 30 minutes or so. Which is another reason why the Brian Danielson MJF is remarkably good despite that. Yeah. The way that they work at the start suggests they're going to go long. Mm. And of course, FTR have had, as they, uh, Ian Riccoboni says in an announcer, uh, two out of three falls is somewhat their specialty. I think they said they've got a win-loss record of six and two. That's what they said, yep. Which is fascinating, because you assume that means they're including, like, revival two out of three falls matches. Well, they kind of have to, because they're ten times top guys, and a lot of those mm. are revival title reigns. <laughs> Mm. It's just curious, a promotion so explicitly acknowledging other promotions. There's moments in this where they mention Jay White's run in New Japan and his time as IWGP champion and everything. And Juice. They they cite Juice's title reigns as well. And obviously that's more acceptable because of the working relationship. But it is curious how that is a respected part of their legacy, I suppose. 
Yeah. So this is a rematch from the previous weeks, which had gone about 28 minutes, which was an Eliminator match. And it was one of the first times where I actually understood what they meant by Eliminator. Mm. Because it's not just that if they win the match, they get a title shot. It's that if the champions beat them, then they can never challenge for the titles whilst they are champions. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense to me. It's like, okay, we really want rid of you, basically. Yeah, and this, I think, is only the second defence they've made in like the three or four months they've been champions, I suppose, because of just works of booking. Mm. And the fact that for the weeks building up to this, they were being partnered up with CM Punk on Collision and establishing this not-faction-faction faction feud that they had with Bullet Club Gold. Because whilst you're saying Bullet Club, there is another tag team, actually, within the faction. Yes. In the gun club. Yeah, newly arrived. I guess these are the Bullet Club gold OGs. There's so many suffixes you have to add to Bullet Club tag teams in 2023 now. So It does seem odd that they continued the Bullet Club element of Jay White. They didn't just start him from scratch or even give him a faction and have him give it a new name. Because mm. Bullet Club in 2023 doesn't necessarily have the name value that it did once before. Yeah. Bullet Club itself is being reinvented again in New Japan at the moment with the work of the War Dogs element of the faction. And I've said it's almost like a nexus in a way now in how, especially that part of the faction. But, you know, Chase Owens is still there somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And obviously there's the House of Torture offshoot as well, which is its own thing. But one of my big notes that I had coming out of this match is I think this is the strongest that Jay White has been presented as an in-ring wrestler at any point. Because mm. when he was in New Japan, he was deliberately playing up the cowardice, deliberately playing up the heel elements, the cheating, the using any shortcut possible, yeah, the flopping to the mat. We get none of that in this match. I don't think that Jay and Juice cheat once in this match that i can recall there's an eye rake at one point at least but there's no more cheating in that regards than there are by ftr because there's at least one moment in the match where dax has juice i think in an abdominal stretch and uses the ropes yeah and the commentators do really well by going um that's how much bullet club gold have got into their heads because ftr haven't really been doing that for a while the whole cheating thing. Well, yeah, the first 15 minutes or so are FDR trying to prove that they haven't been mentally affected by the behaviour of Bullet Club Gold and that they can dish out whatever they had. And what is always funny going into this was that I always wondered how does FTR work, back when they were the Revival anyway, as a babyface, mm. when the whole basis of their team is that they're masters of tag team wrestling? Well, the mastering of the tag team wrestling discipline For the most part, it's an inherently heelish way of working, where you're cutting the ring in half, you're putting the pressure on two on one, you're taking advantage of the situation to sneak in extra moves, sneak in little bits of cheating by working around the referee and the other opponents. And so then it was like, the whole point of FTR is how they can dominate in the ring. Mm. How do you do that when you're the babyface who gets dominated and the whole point is that you're getting caught up in the tag team trickery and everything? Yeah. There's sort of two examples of people who both wear yellow and red who do like trickery and chicanery, both in, some in the tag team sense, some in the singles sense. And they are the Average Joe's dodgeball team and Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan used a lot of back rakes and eye rakes but got away with it because he was doing it to knobheads. Average Joe's in the final when Peter Lafleur turns up. He one of the things he says to the team is look for your two on ones. So 
if you've got a good, strong enough baby face character, you can get away with doing things which inherently look like cheating behaviour because you're doing it to arseholes. Well, the baby face way of doing it as well is to go down the Rock and Roll Express rockers routine of having those fun double team moves and just seeming to be one step ahead and also working as a cohesive unit together mm. to do like the same move on their opponents or to do double team moves that are a bit more clever. And you've got more of that actually in the first version of this match the week before where they're doing like rock and roll express dosi do yeah. bits where they're being whipped together they link arms spin around that's stuff that the rock and roll express would always be doing to the midnight express and the heavenly bodies and all those other tag teams more the midnight express and the heavenly bodies who bump more for them but with an updated version of that because when they would do it, they'd be hitting them with drop kicks or atomic drops. But now, when they're doing it in 2023, it's that they're hitting them with German suplexes mm. afterwards. Stereo <laughs> German suplexes. So that's what we got in the first one. In this one, essentially the first fall of the match is almost like an inverse of the formula in that it's an extended beatdown of the heel. And the heel having to find an opportunity in Juice Robinson to get a, a hot tag. Jay White essentially is the hot tag <laughs> in the first fall of the match. There's even a moment where he takes out both members of FTR when Cash, I think, comes in to try and help Dax. Or yeah. vice versa. Like, he drops him with the DDT to go back to working on Dax. Yes, yes. He does it after hitting, like, a big move on Cash. And obviously, it's, again, it's pointed out in commentary. It's like, okay, it's, it's too early to uh, get them like this. You've got to, like, wear them down more. So they're pointing out the tactical nous of Bullet Club Gold. And that's how they're building them up as a threat to FTR. Because Jay and Juice have been caught in this weird, like, Ricky Starks thing. And they, uh, they didn't really get off the ground that well. Juice more got off the ground better than Jay, really, because of how he talks, his promos, and how... How he talks in the ring and this match is a really good example of how he talks in the ring when he takes the powder early and uh jay asks if he's okay he's like no i'm not okay <laughs> he does it really loud how he cites the referee by name like when dax is holding the rope for the abdominal stretch he's screaming paul paul look at it paul look at it i love how he chats in the ring he's so compelling in that sense what's an odd example of a dynamic in there that i related to was in a way, they reminded me a bit of the Heart Foundation, as in the Brett Neidhart formats. Now, usually with the Heart Foundation, you're looking at that as the example of two different types of wrestlers. The technical... Brett wasn't a high flyer, but he could do a drop kick, And the powerhouse... Mm. But with this, it's more the personalities where Jay White is just the in-ring consummate professional able to do anything. And Juice is the wild character. Like, you watch those old Heart Foundation promos, it's always Brett, like, kind of, not cool. Yeah, a bit cool. Energetic, but then Jim gets involved and he's like, ah! We're gonna slam him! We're gonna punch him! And Brett has to calm him down all the time. <laughs> That was a little bit of the dynamic I got in the pairing. And I don't know if it's something that they will continue with now that they've had their run with FTR. Is it now going to be the starting point where they will split off into singles runs? Mm. I don't know. What was fascinating with this was that the story was just how pointing out how good they were as a team. And they really took FTR to the limit. And they did feel like just a thrown together hodgepodge team. Mm. And of course, as we've said in the past, New Japan have always had so little interest in tag team wrestling for the most part. It was essentially just Carl Anderson plus X. 
Yeah. But it was never like a pivotal part of the booking. So JY being a tag team wrestler was never something we've really seen before. And again, Jay White as an exceptional in-ring wrestler. Presented as he was just looking for shortcuts. As I said, like my favourite Jay White match before this was the Wrestle Kingdom main event he had with Coach Ribushi because it was like mm. Jay White resentfully being dragged into an epic New Japan main event against his will. Yes. But in that, there was always those great moments like when he would get into a strike exchange with Coach Ribushi. It would just be he'd hit one, then Kibashi, uh, Ibushi would hit him, and he'd just fall to the mat immediately. Yep. In this one, he's standing toe-to-toe with Dax and Cash whenever they're in those exchanges, and it does work within the context of this match. Mm. And also, just that they play up how Jay and Juice have them scouted. They have, like, pre-planned ways to get them with their biggest move, which we see twice. We see it in the first fall, which is what wins it for them. When they go for the big rig, although McGuinness keeps calling it the Shatter Machine. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to get in trouble for that eventually, but that's what it, that's what it was. And what was perfect was that they had their, their plan. They knew that they were going to go for this. They even knew that it was going to be a blind tag, because it was... Yeah. FTR thinking they were one step ahead by doing the blind tag, but Jay saw it, so they undo the big rig. Yeah. And it ends up with Jay hitting the Blade Runner on Dak to win the first fall. Yeah. And it was just such a perfect way of doing it, and it's such a surprise. And again, they had it scouted. And then in the second fall, which is curious because it's the second fall where it's all the crazy near falls. Yeah. Which is a fascinating way to structure it. Well, you can do that in two out of three falls, though, can't you? Like, that's the advantage of it. Well, you always assume that it's the third fall. I mean, sometimes, and I've said this in the past, the thing that drives me crazy is when they have a two out of three falls match in the regular length of a single falls match, and so stuff that shouldn't be a fall gets done a lot quicker. Mm. Uh, I said the Benoit Jericho SummerSlam two out of three falls match just goes 15 minutes, so they both get a submission in like three and seven minutes into the match. Mm. I like that this makes it a marathon, essentially. Yeah. In the second fall, then, when we're getting these near falls, when they go for the powerplex, and they do a super-duper version of that as well, I don't know if that's how they always do it, but when Power and Glory did it, Hercules always did the superplex off the second row. I don't know if that's how they usually do it with this one, because they like to do it so faithfully. But for this one, it's super-sized where they go off the top. Yeah. But again, they had a plan for that. So that when Cash comes off the top rope with the splash, Jay has the knees up to block it. And Juice is in to hit... It's a splash. Yes, he hits his own splash onto the fallen opponents. What I like about it is how that's shot. Yeah. Because you see Juice in the background and I'm like, why is he climbing the top rope? Shouldn't he be trying to break this up? But no, no, he has a plan. Yeah, that was really cleverly done. You know, because we've had complaints about AEW with their camera work. I think they must have spoken about that ahead of time. Yeah. Because it looks like the perfect way to show the powerplex anyway. Because you're seeing the, the, the whole ring in position and the crossing over of it. It's perfect to show it at like a diagonal angle. Mm. But as you say, that also allows you to see Juice in the foreground climbing the ropes himself. Yeah. So you think maybe that would be so that he can, can stop the pin maybe by hitting the elbow or whatever it's so amazing how much the crowd's into it and I think it's also fascinating that it's all about FTR struggling to put them away and just again the heel team have this utter will to win and a lot of people have been saying that Jay White is the best kicker out of wrestling right now I think the best ever is still Kurt Angle he yeah Kurt was very very good his was miraculous what he could do but Jay, but he doesn't do again what he would do in New Japan which was just him even barely like getting the shoulder up, he does it more exaggerated. Forcefully, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and just this exasperation on the face of FTR and the way that they push it further and further. And they're the ones that do a lot of the more brutal moves in this match. Mm. They go for a powerbomb on the outside, but then that turns into a Rana, which is an extended... See, this is the funny thing. Like, like I'll say right now, I'm either four and three quarters or five stars. I think I will put this above the second Will Ospreay-Kenny Omega match, at least in my rankings of the year. And I had that penciled in as a five. Yeah. But even that, it does seem to be a weird thing with FTR matches. It never seems like it goes 100% right. There's always one moment where it just seems like something goes slightly wrong. Mm. Slightly off. The timing's a little bit not there or... A move isn't fully executed perfectly. Well, if you look at the Wrestling Observer report, they tried to delay this match because Juice was late showing up. So a lot of this is called in ring, apparently, according to the Wrestling Observer report. There's a slightly awkward moment in the sunset flip spot where yeah. it seems like Jay should be getting up for a clothesline or something and he's not quite there up for whatever reason. Yeah. But because it's such a long match, you can get away with it not going, not every spot being crisp. But it, it, it adds a realism to it. I do prefer it when FTR, it's not so much a tribute act as it is an updating, as I say. Like when they're doing the Rock and Roll Express dosy do spot, they're doing it with German suplexes, which is more acceptable move to do nowadays than like an atomic drop. Yeah. Which is slightly comical nowadays. It used to be Bob Backlund's finisher, but <laughs> <laughs> that's where we are now. This one, when Cash does make the hot tag to Dax, they do the thing where they get cut off, but then they surprise them almost immediately afterwards, and then they hit it. Like, back in the day, it would be Ricky Morton suddenly doing a, a gamble, yeah. a little forward roll underneath, and tagging him and Robert to the surprise of everyone, because usually it's build up and build up and build up, and then and they do it, but then they'll do it with a surprise hot tag, which helps because the crowd suddenly is surprised as well with this one it's dash suddenly from nowhere surprising jay white with a hurricane runner yes which is quite cool i, I did like that i think cash is low-key one of the best in-ring athletes in all of wrestling he's the one that has flippiness in him uh every now and again because remember in their uh match with the young bucks it's him going outside the game plan and doing the 450 which ultimately leads to their downfall and as i said that was the match that doesn't necessarily age as well because it is as much about them doing an outside of the reality of the match homage to tag team wrestling by doing loads of other tag teams moves and everything mm. but there were also moments in that that i love that they also have here where you're seeing this sense of the team communicating with each other especially ftr actually that they will take moments to just suddenly confer and discuss yeah. and just having that sense of knowing where there's an opportunity such as how they do win the second four which is they go for the big rig again but this time they know that jay white's out of commission and the juice is isolated and it's a repeat of how they won their match against aussie open where they start sending juice robinson running back and forwards and they're doing leapfrogs and drop downs old like fundamentals of wrestling but it's enough that they can get him into the right place at the right time to get him with the big rig yeah and get the pin that time i do like that because it's um again it's protection of a finisher as well because um it's not kicked out of it's tactically outfought the first time, which causes Bullet Club to get there full. But when the stars align, it is burning hammer-esque. It is murder-death-kill levels of like finishes still. But also with tag team wrestling, you always have a little bit of an out where it's someone else that 
saves you. Although, again, in this match, a lot of it is Jay White making these big kickouts. Yeah. And it is curious as well how they have both teams also at different points go for a countout. For Jay and Juice, it's when they're one niller and JR and uh, Juice drags out one of the guys and DDTs him on the outside. Yeah. And then goes back in the ring and asks for a countout. And that was a little bit like, and they were saying in commentary, they didn't know for certain if that meant the titles changed hands or not. Because mm. I know back in the day, WWF, when they would do two out of three falls matches with the champions they would very often have it that the champs would lose sometimes lose 2-0 but in one of the falls they would lose by disqualification and that meant that they didn't lose the belts oh for christ's sakes (laughs) but i also remember because one of my very first memories of wrestling was watching my cousin's tape of SummerSlam 1990 and that has an awesome two out of three falls match that I bet that they studied for this especially considering one of the people involved was Bret Hart <laughs> and again that was the out of extra textual element of this match I suppose was all the Bret Hart homages in Calgary but that's been played into on the final of the Owen Hart tournament as well but that's been played into FTR in general yeah to the point that Adam Page even took the piss out of them and CM Punk for it which whether that was one of the things that <laughs> let's let's not pull at that fred jesus christ but yeah in that match with demolitioning you should watch it that'd be a good match of the week to do because that does have a slightly dumb thing that was when it was three members of demolition and in most of the match it's smash and crush but occasionally axe would pop in and take the place of one of them and it's like they're not fucking twins (laughs) they even have different face paint ref for god's sake it's just the free blood rule now you can't do it (laughs) mid-match In that match, the Hart Foundation, one of the two falls they win, they win by disqualification. But they did get to win the belts when they won the third and final fall by pinfall. Oh, so they went they went 3-0, basically, effectively. No, 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 they went 2-1. Ah. But it was just one of those falls that they won was a DQ, but it was allowed as being acceptable for a title win. Right, 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 right. Because that's what they needed for this match. But I guess they wanted to keep Demolition somewhat strong. I don't know. Well, they needed to keep them strong because the whole point was to then, they were setting up a big run with the Legion of Doom. Right. Cost them the match at the end. Because they were saying, we were wrestling fair and square and then suddenly there's four of you. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a really good match. But then later on, FTR themselves even accept a count-out loss. Like, that's how hard it's been for them. And again, we're getting, like, the resilience of Bullet Club Gold that Jay is able to get himself into the ring at the nine count after they've both done... Because they've done... They did the move on both of them, didn't they? They did suplexes on the outside. What was it they did on the outside? Yeah, but, but they both hit double suplexes to the floor. Yes, yeah. double suplexes. <laughs> yeah. And it's no slight against New Japan, well, maybe it is against New Japan style, but because they've always done the 20 count, now whenever I watch New Japan wrestlers do a 10 count, I'm like, oh, they're fine. (laughs) Yeah, but the pace of a 10 count in America and the pace of a 20 count in Japan. Pretty similar, really, yeah. So, yeah, the Bret Hart stuff. I don't recall any Hart Foundation moves. No, uh, Juice does the mocking Bret Hart sort of gesture, and Jay tunes up the band and then hits a sharpshooter, and the crowd are pissed. <laughs> well, famously, Shawn Michaels did that in Calgary, didn't he? Yeah. When, it was when he was feuding with Hulk Hogan and they had them turn up at Calgary and famously they played Bret Hart's music and then Bret didn't come out. And then at the end of the show, he comes out to attack Hulk Hogan. It looks like he's going to super kick him again. And instead he puts him in the sharpshooter. <laughs> Who's your daddy, Montreal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that's right. It wasn't in Calgary. It was in Montreal, but still yeah. similar similar vibes if they had done it in montreal it would have worked just as well it is like i said it's fascinating that so much of wrestling to this day is defined by 
Sean guys and Brett guys. Yeah. And that one match as well, you know. Sort of, but it's also ideological as much as it is personalities. It's, it's as much about what, what wrestling you like as well, as well as... True. And to be honest, watching this match, I was thinking Jay White could be the Shawn Michaels of his generation now. And it's fascinating that it's when he goes to America that he suddenly becomes the workhorse, mm. not Japan. That it's America where he might have all these matches, and it's America where... If he's going to wrestle in this style and have these caliber of matches, and that's a big ask, obviously... But he kind of has to, because what made him stand out in Japan was his cowardice. But in America, you've you've got Jungle Boy running from Hook right now. Jack Perry, sorry. Sorry, everyone. Jack Perry running from Hook. You've got MJF, who's like the yeah. master of, like, you know, ducking and diving. You, you're not unique enough if you just do cowardice. Yeah, he was essentially the MJF of New Japan. Yeah. And MJF is the MJF of AEW, so he's got to find something new. And maybe being that, like the heel Shawn Michaels, DX Shawn Michaels, being the dick that can back it up in the ring yeah that, that that's a good place to start and he's got the tools to do it i could definitely see him being in a pay-per-view main event challenging for the title in 2024 mm. it won't it won't be in the mjf title reign for sure well if mjf essentially forces himself to be babyface <laughs> this is wild a babyface MJF against a heel Jay White could be a really interesting feud yeah the whole mjf thing is wild right now and it's, it's apropos that we are talking about them in a sense because obviously FTR ultimately win this match and their next defence will be against this weird babyface Adam Cole combo, which will be a sort of different match entirely, I think. I love that this plays up the exhaustion of the length of the match and that there are various points where just a partner is just not there. Yeah. Partly because they're being cut off, like Juice Roberts are just constantly going and getting Cash Wheeler off the apron. Juice hates Cash Wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> And Dax, like, Dax setting up, because it looks like he needs the hot tag, and Dax setting up Jay White in the corner for a backdrop suplex. Yeah. Going to tag Cash and seeing Cash not there and like, well, I guess I've just got to do it myself. Dax really gets to be the hero in this whole match, to be honest with you. Yeah. He gets gets a lot of the glory. But not the power, because they didn't hit that move. (laughs) I do think Dax, because obviously the one time they've wrestled each other, last year's Owen Hart tournament Mm. actually Dax did beat him and Dax did have that singles run so they are I think without saying it they present Dax as like the better one in quote air quotes out of the two yeah which I would dispute I do think Cash is better in ring maybe it's because Dax has more of that leader personality when it was them feuding with the Briscoes it was him and Jay that were the the mouthpieces Mm. of the team and it is funny how that dynamic works that the other guy is the athlete and the the loud mouth is less so (laughs) well Mark well Mark's just Mark there's there'll never be another Mark Briscoe (laughs) but it was similar with the Young Bucks that Matt Jackson's the loud mouth and Nick Jackson's the super athlete that can do anything Lucha Bros yeah Pentagon's the not a loudmouth necessarily, but he does talk. He he, he's the character. Talks. He's the taunter. <laughs> yeah. And Ray's the man who just defies science. <laughs> um, well, what's funny with Jay and Juice is that they are both the taunters and both the fight. I guess Jay is clearly being played up as one. He is kept super strong throughout this match. Juice takes both of the falls, I think. He does, doesn't he? He gets pinned with the big rig and then he taps out to the sharpshooter. Yeah. And I do love how they've both been in sharpshooters. They've done the stereo sharpshooter spots. 
and they'd done them doing what famously the FTR did with their uh, DIY match, where they, like, tapped together as well, but they didn't. They both managed to motivate the other one. But then Dax gives himself uh, a better way of sitting down on the sharpshooter. And it's it's effectively a super... It's the lion tamer version of the sharpshooter, which does for mm. Juice. And what works is that Juice had been in the sharpshooter beforehand with cash and when he comes into the ring he is favoring his back and limping mm. towards him so it makes perfect sense that jy is just done exhausted can't save him in time and that ultimately interesting that they only gave the five minute call that there wasn't like a 30 minutes of... that oh, that's got to be intentional i think yeah, I guess they just didn't want to play. I think maybe then people would have played up more. Oh, they're going to go long. If they say it at the 30 minute point, they'll think, oh, this is going to go even longer. Mm. And maybe they'll do the time limit draw so that they can have a third and final match. When the five minute call comes out, the crowd are like, oh, we're not having a draw. There is a bit of that. I'm like, we're not doing a draw, are we? You can tell the crowd are like, don't do this to us. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's just been a fascinating subversion of the structure in many ways whilst they as we've always said their whole thing is homaging it but i like that this was them putting their own twists on it so it's mm. babyface isolation in the first fall and essentially it's an inversion of the formula yeah then the second fall is the one that's the mega near falls and it's the most traditional like the second fall within and of itself is like a great tag classic match tag match yeah and then the third fall is the endurance slash marathon ending slash brawl at the start of it and it is a shame because for my thing even with the fight tv app version we didn't get the full match yeah but i did i did like how they did those proper ad breaks because i watched it the same way and it was always after the end of the fall but it wasn't like oh they're recovering for the whole time no we're straight back into it sometimes it'd be like oh they're finally back on their feet. The doctors have checked them over. Here we go. And it's it's patently obvious that that's for television. But I like the fact it's straight into it. Well, yeah, I didn't feel like I was having to watch commercial break wrestling, which is what I'm starting to feel a lot. Even in, like, the Blood and Guts match, they have commercial break Blood and Guts. Which, well, yeah. You know, but we, we did, that didn't get five stars, so we don't get to talk about that one. <laughs> did you get four and three quarter stars, though? Yeah, well, there you go. And another one of those examples of us having issues with AEW camera work. But that's not for this to be uh, talked about. I just thought this was a fantastic match. Yeah. And as I've said, I'm, I'm on the four and three quarters to five stars front with it. It's definitely better than the second and third Briscoes matches. I don't know if it's better than the first. I do think it's better than their match with the Young Bucks. Both their matches with the Young Bucks. I don't know if it's better than the stuff they've done with American Alpha and DIY because I haven't watched that stuff in a long time. But if someone said this is the best match FTR have had, I wouldn't have any problem with saying that. And if, if as they said, we're coming towards the end of their run, they've had the best tag team run, I think. I think their run as a tag team has, been, has surpassed the Young Bucks in great matches. Yeah. I think everything's kind of interchangeable with the Young Bucks. It feels like there's something different and great. And I, and I think that the FTR stuff will stand the test of time more than the Young Bucks did. The Young Bucks have maybe impacted the industry more than FTR. But FTR, I think, will have the better back catalogue to go through okay. in 20 years' time. As I said, they have these flaws. They do make mistakes in nearly every match they do. And sometimes that has denied me ever necessarily giving a match for certain five stars. But they have a philosophy of wrestling that I think is I'm attuned to personally and let's say for now i'm gonna go five stars okay i might in in retrospect drop it down a touch but it's currently in my top three of the year with omega osprey one and danielson mjf it's definitely not five and a quarter stars 
All right, Mr. Stickler. I'm going five. It really did compel me, like the first time I watched it. Even though I watched it, what this match caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it to be this good by any stretch of the imagination. I wasn't expecting it to be this long. So I watched Collision on a second screen whilst I was doing like playing. I was playing a video game on my first screen, and even despite all that, the fact that this was basically relegated to the second screen the first time I watched it, it drew me in, and it drew me in to such an extent, and I went along with all the near falls, it, I really like thought they might change the title here, I, I bought into it completely, and it was really, really good, so I am going five. If FTR beats Better Than You, baby, in a couple of weeks' time, which I think they will. Do you go back to this for a third and final match? Because they had their trilogy with the Briscoes last year. Do you give them this trilogy this year? And if so, where do you go? Do you go down... If you're going to f- mimic the Briscoe structure exactly, you would have them have the dog collar chain match. I personally think maybe a steel cage match would be an interesting thing for them to do. And could this also be taking place at All In, in front of us, maybe? Well, this is it. We're entering a weird space now, booking-wise, because a week after All In is All Out. I don't think FDR defend the titles on both shows. I think one of them could be, I don't know, maybe a trio's against, against who, because... Everyone knows what they want it to be, but I don't think we're getting that. <laughs> you could easily do this for a third one. It's it's oven ready. There's definitely an eagerness to it. Yeah. People will want to watch this again if they have it. That was really the first match. Sorry, I said oven ready and then I had a horrible, horrible... <laughs> yeah, we don't need to go into yeah, that. Yeah. The first match was essentially a teaser to this match. And that got four and three quarter stars from Meltzer as well. Yeah, uh, I would personally wouldn't go that high watching it. I would probably give that maybe four and a quarter, four and a half. Again, I, I always say iffy stuff but i just i don't you know we we resent being brought into dragged into this star rating system but (laughs) we're here now several years in (laughs) yeah you know i am kind of of the seth rollins we we always did say this is very silly but yeah once you get in you can't you find it very hard to get out exactly exactly but it does feel like these guys deserve third match and definitely Jay and Juice Robinson deserve more of a spotlight to be and maybe you even do the title change because if you don't have anything for Jay White planned for the singles run maybe give Bullet Club Gold a little bit of a title it would just be weird that in the faction, the tag team doesn't have the tag titles. Yeah. That's the odd thing about it. Unless you then had them go into Ring of Honor and try and win those belts. Mm. I don't know. Ring of Honor's got a very stacked tag team division at the moment. It's odd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, what, that's what the Lucha Bros are. Don't forget, they're still floating around. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you saw the recording. It's now Aussie Open that are the Ring of Honor tag team champions. Oh, I did not know that. But okay, well, there you go. Now they're free. Pack's back. Yeah. There's a trio floating around if you want to do a CMFDR versus Death Triangle. It's probably going to be Death Triangle versus BCC. But there you go. There's, there's, there's elements that they can do on this weird two pay-per-views in a week when you don't have a roster split. I don't know. I honestly don't know how the next one's going to go. Maybe you even push it further and instead of giving us a trilogy, we get a, a tetralogy, I think is the right term, not a quadrilogy. Where maybe Jay and Juice beat them in all in, and then they have one final eliminator. <laughs> like FTR, maybe FTR can't challenge again. Mm. You could do that. I don't know. Yeah. Could be very interesting to see how it's done. If this is the last match that they have, and they now allow Jay and Juice to go on into the singles world, mm. both of them, their stock has risen rapidly. I always liked Juice Robinson. I feel like he lost a few years, like a lot of guys, not just do the 
pandemic, but they had plans for him in New Japan, and then they fell out, and, you know, obviously he had his fun in New, in New Japan, famously having some nights out where he was going to enjoy the presence of a Japanese woman, <laughs> as he said to commentary. I always felt with his energy that, and when he does promos, and, all, and again, like I said, the Jim Neidhart, I think Juice Robinson could have slotted so perfectly into 1980s, 1990s WWF. Yeah, it is weird, because I can't, there's always a part of me that looks at him and sees CJ Parker. I'm just getting battered by Kevin Owens. I do wonder why they let him go. He had so much ability and such a great promo as well. Mm. Like all the stuff he would do backstage after every G1 match. He was just like, this guy's a star. I said like, if I was in charge of an impact scale promotion, yeah, I would have tried to bring in Juice Robinson as my top babyface. I think he could have suited that kind of an environment perfectly. Yeah. Well, NXT back then was stacked. I think that's why. It's not like he's like dropped off the face of the earth far from it. So he's fine. He could be back in WWE at some point. In the yeah. Future. Although, given his wife's experiences, look, the man is clearly winning in life. Exactly. Than one. He's fine. So, he's, he's fine. <laughs> he's in a very good place right now. Yeah. But that has been our first of the July the 15th matches. There was one that took place a few hours before, but we're going to do it as our second of this double bill. And that's what you'll be hearing next week. And we've already said the promotion, but we haven't said the participants. We have not. And they're both five-star debutantes, just as Juice Robinson was for this one. Simon, who are we talking about? We are talking about a match that takes place, as we've already alluded to, in Noah between Katsuhicho Nakajima versus Kento Miyahara. It's an interpromotional match as well. It's Noah versus All Japan between two men who both were the protégés of Kensuke Sasaki. Ah, okay. Before then going off on their own. Kazuhiko and Nakajima are essentially settling in Noah, and Kento Miyahara is eventually settling in all Japan. And now, for the first time in a long time, they're back in the ring together. Ah, okay, so okay. There's a lot of history that we need to read up on before we plunge into it. But until then, Simon, if people want to give you some advice on some history books to read, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of falls in this match would be the lazy option. But also, free for the number of times in this match, I really did just latch onto what Juice Robinson was saying in ring. I can't stress enough how much I like his in ring talking. My name is Lorcan Mullen, that's L O R C A N M U W L A for the A in the A U that is the chemical symbol of gold. N for the N in nitrogen, which is the majority of the air, which was electric during this match. <laughs> That's, that's possibly my favourite one of those you've ever done. <laughs> we should do a compilation of your analogies and my ANs. Ah, hey, I managed to cite dodgeball in this. Not Dunstan checks in for, for yeah, uh, regular yeah, listeners. Yeah, I'm aware, I'm aware. Well, that's re- referring to something we've recorded but hasn't come out yet. No, uh, well, uh, we've, we've, I've cited it in the past. I'm still fine. That's true, yes. But there's nothing to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a quarter star time. Whatever that means. Until the next time.